This episode is in partnership with Authority Magazine. Authority Magazine, a medium publication, is devoted to sharing in-depth and interesting interviews featuring people who are authorities in business, pop culture, wellness, social impact, and tech. Using interviews to draw out stories that are both empowering and actionable. Authority Magazine believes that good stories should feel beautiful to the mind, heart, and eyes. Today on Believe in People, we're going to meet someone who has dedicated his life to doing just that. Steve Sarowitz made a lot of money at a young age and has decided to invest in the betterment of others. He is a philanthropist, a promoter of unity, a maker of films, and an active member of the Baha'i faith. Steve Sarowitz, welcome to Believe in People. Thank you for having me. Listen, I just want to start off with a really sort of blunt question, and that is, what does the world need now? You are someone who is so connected in so many ways to so many sort of humanitarian things. What do we need? What are we missing out on as a society? Not that I wear it on my chest, but so powerful is the light of the unity. <laughs> that it can illuminate the whole earth. I have four of these shirts, actually. I might only have three. I gave one away. I need to get some more. Uh, I want one. I want one. <laughs> um, you know who made it is your neighbor. Your neighbor, Susan, uh, made this shirt. She designs half my shirts. So I'm, I'm usually huh. wearing a shirt like this every day. Um, we need to recognize that we're one human family, simply that. If we did that, that would solve all our problems. So I'll start out with, you know, I can go problem by problem. I'll hit some of the bigger ones. Uh, war would go away if we knew we were one human family. Uh, famine and poverty would go away if we knew we, had one human, we were one human family. Uh, our medical issues would go away. We, 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 we'd advance greatly if we were one human family. And uh, economic issues, just, you know, all the things, uh, climate change even would be much better if we acknowledge we were one human family and started working together. And, and Steve, how do we start to do that? We have to change our hearts. So the way, you know, living in Chicago, living in Highland Park, I live in a primarily white area, maybe a white Jewish area, you could say. Sometimes we don't believe that we're part of the greater Chicago area. So when we see someone shot in Chicago, uh, it's though well, that's them, it's not us, but it's always us. And it doesn't matter. We, we need to, to change our minds about the color of people's skin separating us, our religion separating, our nationality, our gender, and really understand our true oneness. Once we do that, we can start working together in a whole new level. Well, isn't it interesting that when shootings happen to the other, we feel that way. And yet in Highland Park, Illinois, the shooting came to us last summer on July the 4th and perhaps reminded us all that no one is immune to this sort of activity. And frankly, um, we're having a difficult time grappling with it. Well, just imagine how difficult difficult it is for the people who are dealing with this every every month and every day. 
and, and they're just people like us. And that's the thing. It's just not, you know, you're not immune to it. If you see it, you're, you know, there's people walking around Chicago with PTSD. Um, it's awful that it came to Highland Park. But we also have to be concerned for the people that are dealing with this every day in Chicago. And we need to work together. We have the resources. You know, Chicago, I'm saying collectively, is an area is a wonderful community, uh, financially great resources, uh, great beauty in this area. And if we work together, we can we can really make this area far more great than it is today. Hmm. And and Steve, when did this come about for you? When did you realize we had you always been sort of this mindful of what's going on, or when did this sort of start for you? And I know that you transitioned um, to Baha'i faith, so I would really love to talk about that as well. But when what influenced you? The Baha'i faith is my primary influence in life. Everything I do now revolves around that. Um, my business, uh, personal, uh, you know, it's not that 100% of everything I do is Baha'i, but the Baha'i faith influences everything I do. So uh, the primary mission of the Baha'i faith is to unite humanity. The primary mission of the Baha'i faith is to acknowledge that we're one human family, to eradicate racism, to eradicate sexism, to eradicate nationalism, to eradicate religious prejudice, to look at the religions rather than as competing, uh, but as distinct and beautiful chapters in a single eternal faith of God. Um, I became a Baha'i in 2015, and I've gradually been evolving to uh, incorporate Baha'i into everything I do. Right now, I'm investing into a few new ventures, and each one of them is influenced by my, my views as a Baha'i. Actually, a couple of them are actually run by Baha'is who have a similar point of view. I'm excited, very excited about two of them, actually. I'm going to ask you a question. Uh, you just mentioned uh, economic issues there. Did you find, because, because of your business acumen, um, you, were very, you are very successful in terms of business? Did you still find, after such success, there was some emptiness that had to be filled, despite the fact? You were so successful. Is that something that sort of edged you along in the path you've taken? Um, a lot of people become Baha'is because they're searching for something, because they're looking for something different. I wasn't one of those people. I was pretty happy in my path. I have a wife and two children that absolutely adore my children. Um, success in business. I get along very well with uh, now our co-CEOs at Paylocity. I've been very lucky there. Um, I like the Jewish faith. I, I didn't, I'm not traumatized by, some people are traumatized by religion from their experiences growing up. That wasn't the case with me. Um, I just really found the Baha'i faith to be very logical at first. So it was the logic of the Baha'i faith that we don't have competing religions that attracted me. And then the message of the Baha'i faith and how relevant and how necessary it is for humanity attracted me. And then after that initial attraction, I had a very strong uh, spiritual transformation in Israel, which is also a pretty interesting story. And that influenced me on a deeper level. But what really attracted me to the Baha'i faith is just that it makes sense. It doesn't make sense that we should be separated. We're all, we're all created by the same creator. And, and Steve, can you share that story of what happened in Israel? So Paylocity goes public in 2014. I called up a man named Bill Strickland. I said, I want to, 
uh, make a center in Chicago, which we did, called Chi-Cat. If you haven't had a chance to check it out, it's on the west side of Chicago. It's an after-school arts program for kids and vocational for adults. And about five conversations in, Bill says to me, um, I'm building this center. I want to build this center with uh, Jewish philanthropists out of Miami in Akko, Israel. And I almost fell out of my chair. At the time, I decided to become a Baha'i, but I was waiting two and a half years for my kid's bar mitzvah because my wife is Catholic. And she said, you have to wait until after the bar mitzvah, you're the Jewish one. And I was waiting <laughs> patiently when he told me this. And then he asked me to go to Akko, which is essentially Mecca for Baha'is. It's where Baha'u'llah, the founder of the faith, is buried. So I, I went to, I, uh, to build the center, which has been very successful in Akko, Israel. And the first time I go, we went outside the shrine of Baha'u'llah, and I had a complete spiritual transformation. My wife uh, literally thought I went crazy because the only thing I could talk about after that was the Baha'i faith. But I had many other changes. I was sleeping four hours a night. I was happy as a lark. And I was fat, I'm a competitive runner. I was running faster, significantly faster, playing basketball better. I um, actually, and I, and I, one very interesting phenomenon, which has never gone away, is I learned, or I didn't learn, I just started healing people with my hands. I started doing Reiki without even knowing what Reiki was. So uh, within six months, I was a Baha'i. Wow. Have you, has there been any pushback? from your family members, from relatives, from people in the community uh, with regards to your decision? I'm sure some people think I'm crazy, but probably less so now because you know, eight years ago, I was telling people the world is falling apart. We need to change. <laughs> the world, we really need to change. Humanity needs to change. We're going to see a lot of problems. And eight years ago, it wasn't so obvious. Now it's much more obvious that we have severe problems. And more people are coming to me and saying, what were you talking about? What's that solution? I think a lot of people are, are, are lacking in hope right now. And Baha'is have lots of hope because we understand it's going to be bad, but we also understand how to get out of the bad into the future. And so, uh, yes, there's been pushback by family, uh, certain friends, mainly by family. My father uh, had thought I joined a cult and told me that they were going to take all my money. I tried to explain that the Baha'i faith is quite the opposite of a cult, that it's very open. I can come and go as I please. And they don't want any of my money. And there's no uh, individual hierarchy in the Baha'i faith. There's no clergy even. So it's a very open religion. The number one tenet is to think for yourself, independent investigation of truth. So it's, it's literally the opposite of the definition of a cult. But I couldn't convince my father of that for about six years. And then finally, after about six years, he called me crying and said, I'm, I'm sorry I was wrong. Uh, you become a better person. So he was probably the hardest one. Wow. Hmm. That, that says a lot. And and I think then the Baha'i faith really moved you into another industry, which is the film industry. So is this because you were able to um, tell stories, share stories with the world? Or what was that motivator for you, Steve? I declared as a Baha'i on February 10th, uh, 2015, which happens to be my father's birthday. And uh Three days later, I, uh, my, I emailed my friend and I was in front of a, a picture, a, photo, a, a painting actually of 99 martyrs who were killed by the, the government, of, the current government of Iran. And uh, I, I emailed my friend, one of the martyrs right in the center of that uh, painting was his father. And I, I had a picture of me basically declaring as a Baha'i and said, I'm a Baha'i now. And this is my friend Farshid. He's been a Baha'i his whole life and probably didn't expect me to send him that picture. Um, and I said, I'm going to be a behind now. I'm just going to retire. I, I 
They lost it. They'd gone public. I didn't need to work. So I said, I'm just going to retire and I'm going to teach the Baha'i faith. And he said, well, you could do that and reach um, hundreds of people, or you could make a movie and reach millions of people. Less than an hour later, I get an email from a movie producer by the name of Peter Samuelson, a producer of 25 movies. Biggest movie was the most famous one he made is uh, Revenge of the Nerds. And I started a conversation with Peter. I'd never talked to him before. Uh, next thing you know, a week later, I'm in Santa Monica, which is actually where I'm sitting right now. And uh, at the time, we didn't have a house in Santa Monica. Now we do. Um, and I was, I was sitting at a restaurant with Peter and said, hey, uh, I'm thinking about making this movie. And pretty soon it became a four-way conversation with the people at the next table. And, and next thing you know, I was on a three-year odyssey to make a film called uh, The Gate, Dawn of the Baha'i Faith. And along the way, I met some wonderful Baha'i actors, uh, including Rain Wilson, who I'd become good friends with, and Justin Baldoni, who I'd become very good friends with and partners. And so I uh, am now making a lot of movies with Wayfair uh, Studios and Justin Baldoni, who's in New York right now, making a very, uh, I would say, a very prominent picture, a very exciting picture called It Ends With Us, based on the number one best-selling novel over the last two years by Colleen Hoover. He's going to star in it and direct it, and I will be the producer. Steve, I was just about to ask you when this when this thing happened um, with when we were you were talking about movies, and our inside story is that you and I met in a local Chinese in a local Thai restaurant. We were having dinner, and we our group was having dinner with a couple that we often go to the movies with, and on that particular night. Um, we had already seen all the movies uh, for the Oscar uh, nominations. So we decided to go for dinner and not go to a movie. And we were talking about the kinds of movies that we liked, kinds of movies, who was going to win an Oscar, what did you like, or what have you. And the next thing I know, the vo voice comes from behind the scene at the next table, and the voice says, well, what kind of movies do you want to see? And it turns out it's our friend Steve Sarowitz there. That's how we met. And I, for you, just to tell us a story. We had a, basically a bankrupt movie house in our town. Um, and Steve, uh, who we all like a lot now because he bought it. But you have uh, some specific ideas about the kinds of films you wanted to show in there. Will you share that with us? Yes. Yeah, so my whole philosophy is that film and art in general should be there to uplift humanity. Art is a reflection of life. Life is a reflection of art. And so if you look at Hollywood, if you look at, you know, go to AMC theaters or the, the larger theater chains, and just in general, most of the films are films that are either, to me, a waste of time or they have negative energy. There's a lot of violence in them. There's a lot of casual sex and drugs and there's horror films. That's probably two thirds to three quarters of the films or more. And I want films that really uplift humanity. And so I want films that make you laugh, that make you cry, that make you think. We're, we have a lot of directors coming in and showing their films and having discussions afterwards. We have a whole series actually this month. We had, we had Jane Goodall come in last month. We had Penn Badgley come in. We just showed a film called Foster Boy, which I'm executive producer on, and another one called Abdul Bahan France, which I'm also executive producer on. And these are films that ask a lot of questions and have us think, okay, how, you know, what did I learn and how can we make the world a better place? 
Uh, upcoming, I'm very excited about on April 18th, we have the Holocaust Memorial Day. We're showing six films about the Holocaust. And so that's also, and we're giving 100% of the, don't, 100% of the proceeds to Holocaust education. So it's our, our, again, our chance to be of service to the community. And, you know, you said something very uh, interesting, Steve, that, that, you know, when we see films, I don't think we realize that when we see very heavy or violent or uh, films that the energy changes in ourselves and our vibe and how we, we think and project um, out, out into the world. And so by making films that are going to be more thoughtful or uplifting or um, the underdog, you know, stories that prevail, uh, I don't think people realize how important that is. And I, and I think too about the businesses that you've had prior to, let's say, Baha'i Faith, and you talked about Israel and your, uh, the, not epiphany, but the lightness you felt, you know, better runner, um, better basketball player. So that was, that shift, do you realize how important that shift was for you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so about a month and a half later, I'm sitting there at the start of a race. It's just a, a little race. And there's a young 17-year-old uh, kid who's running high school across country. And I was on the verge of my 49th birthday. And so, you know, here's a 50-year-old runner going against a 17-year-old high school runner. And I said, how fast can you run three miles? He said, oh, 19 minutes. And I knew I could run about 1945, which was pretty good for a guy pushing 50 for three miles. But it wasn't, uh, you know, I, I wasn't going to beat a, a high school cross-country runner, especially one that was 45 seconds faster than me, which is a pretty significant distance. And so we take off and uh, he takes off and I think I'll never see him again. And I caught him at the mile. And I, I, I won going away. I, I ran 19 minutes. I ran 620 days for three miles. And it was easy for me. just felt like floating on air. And I knew right then that something had changed inside me because I hadn't even been training particularly hard, but I just felt light on my feet. And I think that <clears throat> that's something we all should realize that our joy is primarily spiritual and we need to feed our spirits every day. And so that's something I've been saying for years now is that I ask people when I meet them, especially young people, what have you done to feed your spirit today? And I, I think movies are a part of that and, and art, music and, and movies and art. Um, what does that do to feed your soul? We have a wonderful art center here in Highland Park, which I'm very supportive of. Um, and I think movies can be a part of that too. And I'm really happy I was able to preserve a theater, but more importantly, to bring a theater that's, that adds to, to our collective experience here in, in town. You, um, you know, you're obviously talking about things that have inspired you and continue to inspire you. And now you're trying to pass off that uh, share that inspiration with others. How do you react to a world, the one in which we seem to live, where people divide themselves almost into armed camps, or at least verbal armed camps with regards to politics, yeah. religion, guns? Um, we continue to have mass murders take place here, as we discussed earlier. And yet people um, as opposed to coming together, seem to uh, either via the internet or via cable television, um, are always in attack mode. And, um, you know, you're just talking about feeding the spirit or feeding the soul. Um, I don't see very much soul or spirit taking place in our nation right now. How does that affect you? Well, um, first of all, um, 
I'm going to read you a little quote. When a thought of war comes, oppose it by a stronger thought of peace. A thought of hatred must be destroyed by a more powerful thought of love. So that is Abdu'l-Bahá, if you've ever heard of Abdu'l-Bahá. That is the son of Baha'u'llah. And so he, he that, that's a beautiful quote from Abdu'l-Bahá. And he, uh, he says that um, because he's... He's actually talking about the Battle of Benghazi at the time, if you've heard of the Battle of Benghazi. So about over 100 years ago. And so we're in that same type of situation where you have a lot of thoughts of hate and we overcome those thoughts with more powerful thoughts of love. The other thing that is very, you'll hear often from Baha'is is there's a dual process going on. The process of disintegration of, of a woefully inadequate old world order and replacing it with this new civilization, which is based on love and kindness and peace and unity. And if you look beneath those waves of hate, there's this rising tide of love and kindness. And many, many people are, are, are actually feeling that. It's just not what you're seeing in the news. Yeah, it's so true. And Steve, I, I would say to for our viewers and listeners today, What's one thing that they can do right now to help raise their vibration or raise their sense of spiritual happiness? Well, I mean, I, I, I found a lot of uh, satisfaction studying the Baha'i writings. I encourage people to do that. I, I think the Baha'i writings are guidance for humanity in this age. You don't have to even become a Baha'i to study the writings. Um, but I think to pray, whatever faith you are, if you're Jewish, if you're Christian, you know, embrace your faith right now in times of trouble. You might want to do that uh, to meditate, to pray, to read the word of God, to, to look to be of service, to look um, not. Uh, there's a, a whole video we did about escaping the prison of self, not to worry about the material world, but to really turn your face and your heart towards the spiritual world and ask, how can I be of service to humanity? At the end of the day, uh, we don't get any rewards for uh, owning the most cars or houses or having the most money in our bank account when we die. I really think we're here on this earth to develop our spiritual quality. So work on developing one spiritual quality today, maybe love, maybe kindness, maybe mercy, compassion, patience, and maybe just give your neighbor, your, your wife, your husband, your child, give them a hug. Mm -hmm. Start with something. You're a pretty, I mean, you're a pretty successful businessman. And you did mention earlier that, you know, you don't, really need to punch a clock anymore is that where the philanthropy comes in for you because because you you know you are secure but you feel a need to share um help others with their spiritual journey yes and i and i share in a lot of ways so i help lead 10 different baha'i classes every week in addition to my work uh, i have a person that i actually hired full-time who helps me. I met her and she was a Buddhist. And I said, well, you're actually a Baha'i. And she said, how do you know? And we were doing Baha'i classes. She had told me she was a secret of truth. And so she became a Baha'i and Cheryl and I lead these classes every week. We've been doing it for a couple of years. Um, but the philanthropy comes in uh, because I do have excess money. And I think if you have more money than you need, why wouldn't you share it? Again, with the whole idea that we're one human family, Take a look at how you can invest that money to help humanity. The, the money is no good in my bank account. The money is good when it helps people. So I'm investing. I do impact investing. I'm investing in companies I think will help the world. And I'm investing in communities 
and trying to uplift communities, primarily in the United States, um, primarily with uh, black and brown uh, communities and women and, and the reason and Native American. And the reason we're, we're focused on that is we're, I always say it this way, that we're all flowers of one garden. And if some of those flowers have had a little less rain and a little less sunlight, it's my job since I have a little, I've been given a little extra to share that very simply. And I guess this sort of, uh, and this may see, uh, seem obvious, and yet, Steve, every week we ask our guests um, uh, the same question. Why do you believe in people? Well, we're all created by God. I and mean, if you look at people's soul first, everybody's beautiful. Even that ugly person you think you're going to hate because of politics, and we're talking about division or religion or something, color of their skin, whatever you think is a reason to hate that person, you have to stop and Stop looking at the outside and look at that soul. And everybody has a soul. And so if we look at people's soul first, why wouldn't you love everybody you meet? That's great. Steve Sarowitz, thanks so much for spending some time with us. Um, it's certainly been uplifting and uplifting half an hour for Amy and myself and hopefully for those who are listening. Thank you very much. And uh, best of luck with your with your film ventures. And hopefully... Uh, You'll see me with a box of popcorn and a uh, Diet Coke in the theater sometime soon. Thank you. <laughs> well, thank you for supporting the theater. I really appreciate it. We need, we need all the help. I think I can see being a member of the theater. We'd love to have as many members as possible. That's great. Thanks, Steve. So it's a membership? Is it ba a membership-based? It's, uh, it's basically anyone can buy a ticket. By the way, you lower the price of tickets. It's $10 with tax, $8 for seniors. And then you have things like free popcorn Wednesdays, which happens to be today. And then membership for $25 a month, you get a discount on all concessions and unlimited free movies. So if That's you're a moviegoer, we, we would love to encourage people to be members. The more members we have, the easier it will be for us to sustain ourselves financially. We were already, we had a wonderful weekend last weekend. Uh, we had over a thousand people come with uh, air and uh, wow and Mario. So we're getting to the point now where we can see the the light. It was, was, was kind of hard when we first took it over. We'd have six people come in the course of the day, and now we're getting a little bit busier, which helps. That's awesome. That's well, great. that's good news for everyone. It real we, we really good. appreciate the support of the community. So thank you for having me today. Thanks and a I, lot, Steve. Thank you for Bye -bye. having me. Well, there was an inspirational half hour with a power outage in the middle of it. But the inspirational part was spending time with a fellow who, who seems to have made it his mission in life to inspire others through his own service. He's clearly uh, setting an example and, and moving off into the creative industry and entertainment. Uh, and still inspiring along the way. And uh, thank you, Steve Sarowitz, for being with us today. Yeah, and you know, Kevin, I he I really appreciate the fact that Steve is finding ways in which to um, share the story around unity and compassion and and curiosity, and just for us to connect as a global um, community. Human so, race. I mean, you know, yeah, exactly. So if you've been inspired today and enjoy this episode, we welcome you to subscribe to Believe in People because we, as Kevin says, believe in you. Take care. See you next week.